So ATM was wonderful. It was my first full experience of the ATM service. It was so nice, wasn't it, Kelsey? It was so calm. There were no kids. It was wonderful. I might go back. Um, but in 10 a.m., I've got the great privilege of interviewing Gillian Shadwick. So as Gillian's coming up, um, I have the great privilege of being in a Bible study every week with Gillian. And I am yet to meet a kinder, humbler, I know the pressure's on you now, wiser, more beautifully spoken woman. I'm just in awe of her. And obviously what she shares about being a mum and a grandma, but also being a daughter to her mum. And I'm just always so struck by everything she's got to say. She's she's got such great wisdom. And um, when I grow up one day, I want to be exactly like you, Julian. (laughs) Exactly like you. So let's start. I'm going to pick your brains. So tell us just briefly, who's in your family? Oh, Susan, first of all, thank you for that welcome. When I get young again, I want to be just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, My family uh, stretches from a one-year-old sixth grandchild to a 97-year-old mother, who will soon be 98. Um, uh, I have two sons. Uh, One is 42 and one is 44. And when Susan asked me, I said, are you sure you actually want me like I'm oldish? Like these are mothers with children here and, uh, you know, perhaps it would be more appropriate for them. But anyway, um, in the way that she does, uh, she said, no, no, uh, we'd like you to talk. And I do thank you for that. I'm, I'm actually very uh, nervous. I, in my work, I've been a public speaker, but I'm really a speaker for Christ. And... Um, for that reason, uh, I thank you, and I know God will um, be with me. Of course. Thank you for saying yes. And, yeah, we do want you, because I think for mums of young children, which this congregation is full of, um, we love to hear from women that have gone before and draw from that wisdom. We want to know that we're going to make it. Uh, so, first off, we'll kick off and ask, what is your favourite Bible verse relating to parenting and motherhood? Uh, well, I actually... <laughs> I have a couple, um, uh, but the, the one, I brought this along, you might wonder. Uh, this, um, I won't see my two sons today because they are in their church, being elders and other things, and of course they give their focus to their wives and their three children, they each have three children, and I will get beautiful phone calls later tonight. But after this service, I'm off to see my mum, who has advanced dementia, uh, with two bunches of yellow flowers and some other things. So I brought mum along today to help as well. So my Bible verse actually relates a little bit to that. And, um, oh, I've got a few here. I'm not going to put my fingers right on it because I've got other little tabs here in case I get to them. I mean, over-prepared, that's probably, you'll probably have to shut me up. Uh, but there's a, there's a wonderful verse that my elder son drew to my attention when we were giving a birthday for my mum, who's, who was 92. We all had to wear name tags because of her dementia. And I knew it was probably the last time we would have a gathering like that. And I'd asked him to do a Bible verse and my other son to do a prayer, and so the day went. And he had this beautiful verse which goes something like this. Children are their children's 
crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. And I kind of thought, children's children. Okay, well, that's my grandchildren, and yes, they're a crown to me in my age. And, and as a parent, I guess I'm the pride of my mother, and I hope I'm the pride of my sons and my beautiful daughters-in-law. So uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I know where that verse is, but I've forgotten its number. But that's a very precious verse to me because it's intergenerational. And then following on from that, what is the best thing about being a mum for oh, you? Oh, wow. What the best thing? You know, um, I guess there are two things. Uh, I, I was absolutely not prepared for the fierceness that I would feel when I became a mother. And I am aware that this is a mixed day for people. I struggled for four years to have children. One of my beautiful sons and daughters-in-law struggled for nine and have three adopted children. I understand all those pains. Uh, I loved Emily's words about spiritual motherhood and listening all the other relationships we, we have. Um, but having said that, given that I was given the joy of being a mother, I was absolutely surprised at the fierceness. I remember when I had my first son, whose name's Jake, and I started crying, and the doctor said, are you in pain? And I said, no. It's the absolute joy of the fierceness. And interestingly for me now, as my mother is so much in need of my care, that fierceness has been surging back for her. Uh, it wasn't there in the middle years. You know, I was surging for my children. But um, now that she's so vulnerable, uh, that surge. So I, th I think the fierceness and the joy um, and the, the inter intergenerational joy is just wonderful, the position I'm in with grandchildren and mother, children, aunts, all of those things. And um, on the flip side of that, what is the thing that you have found the hardest? The hardest? Um, I am going to find a little bit in the, the Bible here, and it's from Ecclesiastes. And I love that um, chapter three about there is a time for everything. Uh, and you, you would be so familiar with it. It's got a beautiful rhythm. It's so poetic. But of all of those things, a time to speak as a mother, a parent, and a time to be silent. And oh, wow, sometimes I have spoken when I shouldn't have. And sometimes I certainly should have stepped forward uh, whether the advice would have been gratuitous or not, I should have spoken. Um, and uh, I think of all of... I, I love all of those things, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to weep. They're, they're all of the images of being family, church family as well as nuclear family, but that a time to be silent and a time to speak. And I, I think one of the ways it absolutely surged up for me was when my elder brother died a couple of years ago and I uh, had not said some things to my sons that I wished I had said, particularly about the period of my being a single parent with them, being too career-focused, drifting away from God, a range of other things. And so I wrote them a letter that I posted before I went overseas, and um, the reactions were so beautiful. The one who was a minister uh, opened it and rang me and said, oh, Mum, I cried, I'll read that forever, and the other one, after a week when I hadn't heard from him, I rang and he said, I haven't opened it yet, Mum. I'm just patting it there like I think he feared it would have all this massive advice that would make him feel terribly guilty or whatever. So I, I, I guess um, 
Sometimes, because I have been too silent, I found that opportunity to write to them both, and um, it's something I'm really glad I did. Can you see why I love this woman? Um, Kelsey said, you have to ask her, how did she raise two boys to both follow Christ? How is that possible? Oh, how did you, you do it? You know, I've told you this is the one I'm going to fight, have trouble with. Because <laughs> when I, uh, when Kelsey rang first and then you asked me, Suzanne, well, of course, straight to the phone to ring my boys. One one night and one the other, I said, I'm in big trouble here. Uh, because you know I didn't raise you to be good Christians. God got you there because I took my eye off the ball for some critical years and other wonderful people entered your life, teachers at school, uh, Christian university friends and others, and, uh, and eventually you drew me back to Christ. So I'm not sure what I'm going to say about how I raised uh, two such wonderful Christian sons who married Christian wives. Um, they said, oh, Mum, the foundations were good, you know, they were good foundations, and I think, tick, yes, I'd, Sunday school, Sunday school teaching, all those things, but um, really, uh, the, I did write down the things they said at the end of that conversation because um, it was so uh, encouraging to me, and my elder son said, God has been very faithful to our family. God created families, and he created church families, and my younger son, Martin, said, God has worked in all of us to lead each other. He has moved our faith from simple to deep, although it's not been fast and it's not been linear. Well, that's pretty profound. And I think the reason why we also asked you up here is because you've got another dimension to your mothering, and that is now being a daughter yes. to a mother yes. who is elderly. Yes. So do you want to talk a little bit about that I before will we just, wrap and up? Then I, I will briefly. You know. uh, so um, I bought mum's Mother's Day card yesterday and of course given that she's 98 with advanced dementia and sleeps a lot of the time I wondered is this my last card for mum and then the other part of me thought what an absolute privilege I have had to have had a mother for so long and I don't mean it's actually easy all the time to have a mother who's been in, in aged care for 12 years um, but I'll tell you one story about her which just demonstrates that even though she has lost so much of her memory, she teaches me still. I very often go to church with mum in her aged care facility, and it's just in the hall there on a Wednesday, and um, I wake her up for the hymns, and she belts them out, and then she falls asleep again. And at the end, the minister who's called David comes up, and he always says, God bless you, Gillian, and God bless you, Gloria, and she always says, that was a lovely sermon. She looks up beautifully. And then he wanders off, and then she says, because she's deaf, loudly so that he can hear, is he your husband? <laughs> and I say, no, no, darling, no, darling. He's our minister. He's, uh, um, but she is so grateful. She is such a peace. And um, while she's forgotten just about everyone's name, when I turn up, she looks up and says, my daughter. And I think I have such a privilege to have her as my mum. So, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to you. Happy Mother's Day to you. And will you all please join me in thanking Gillian. Thank you. Morning is from John 19 and from several sections, starting at verse 16 and then picking up again at verse 23. 
can be found on page 1086 in the Bibles in front of you. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. If you're looking at your watch, don't worry, I won't be up here as long as normal. <laughs> um, I'm Kelsey, I am the other women's minister. I have the privilege of working with Suzanne here, looking after the women. Um, and as it's Mother's Day, and I do happen to be a mother, I've been thinking a bit about job experience, actually. My oldest boy is three and a half years old, so just little. And in most fields of work, three and a half years is a good amount of experience. You're confident in your role and in your tasks, and you've probably learned all that you need to do to do your job really well. But in parenting, all you've really done in three and a half years is proven that you can keep a small person alive and you can exist on little sleep. You've mastered survival. I have mastered this. <laughs> but all the actual tricky bits are yet to come. You still have to raise well-adjusted, non-messed-up, kind people who hopefully follow Jesus and get good jobs. It's always been a daunting, rather terrifying arrangement to me. And the older they get and off into the world they go, the less control you have over any of it. For me, maybe it's exactly that. It's the lack of control that gets me. Wouldn't I love to be able to orchestrate things in a certain way and protect my kids, or at least be able to know what life holds for them so that I can prepare them adequately? The flip side of this control, of course, is faith. And this is true for every area of my life where I desire to control outcomes. Faith in the one who gave me my children, or the job, or the relationship, or anything else. The one who's provided everything that I need in every situation. Because the truth is, I don't have control over many things in life, so I must put my faith in the one who does. As I was thinking about times in my life when I've needed to exercise this faith, my mind went to Mary, Jesus' mother, standing at the foot of the cross. Now, here I am, trying to control situations so my three-year-old doesn't get his feelings hurt, 
And here's Mary, who had really no control over anything in her son's life, watching him suffer horrifically. It's a bit of a ridiculous comparison. But I've looked more at this woman, who is probably the most famous mother in the history of the world. I see this scene at the foot of the cross as the climax of an entire life lived in faith. And I've been really encouraged anew to see what great blessings come from a life of faith that is placed in Christ for the things that are out of my control. From the very beginning of Mary's story as a mother, she had to say a constant faithful yes to the Lord. Now if a large shining creature came to me at age 12 or 14 or whatever she was and told me that I was gonna be pregnant, I can say with certainty that my response would not have been anywhere close to the gracious response of Mary. She undoubtedly thought about the precarious position an unplanned pregnancy would put her in. It was potentially a death sentence, but she said yes. She had faith in a good and trustworthy God, and she trusted his plan. So, nine months later, she gave birth to a son, and we know that God went to enormous lengths to protect both her and her son. We had lots of visitors when my son was born, and they all said lots of nice things, none of which were, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is what Simeon the prophet said to Mary when Jesus was born. Now I can't imagine the wonder and amazement she would have felt as he prophesied great things over Jesus' life. But then he drops this bomb about a sword piercing her soul. He was prophesying about the grief and suffering that would be hers as the mother of the Messiah. I've often wondered what it would be like to be the mother of the Messiah. Parenting a perfect child, I don't think any one of us can imagine what that must be like. And surely it would have cast an unfair comparison on his siblings growing up. But in the small glimpses we get of Mary as his mother, I'm always amazed at how she continually had to lay down control expectations and even normal parental hopes for her son. An example of this was when, on the return home from a family trip to Jerusalem when he was 12, Jesus' parents discovered he wasn't with them. Of course, unbeknownst to them, he had stayed behind with the teachers at the temple, and it took them three days to find him. What fear and frustration Mary must have felt as she anxiously searched for him. Yet another reminder that she was not in control of any part of her son's life. And this didn't end when Jesus grew up. Again, Mary was searching for Jesus, this time with her other sons, only to hear him say, who are my mother and brothers? As a mother, as a parent, to hear your son say such a thing, that's got to be a soul-piercing moment. And there'd be many more, each one asking her to lay down her control and her rights as his mother. And this brings me back to that most difficult, most agonizing moment of all. John 19 describes the scene as Jesus hangs on the cross, as Susan read earlier. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. A life of obedience and trust in God has brought Mary here, witnessing the horrific murder of her beloved son. When I put myself in Mary's shoes, I see the soldiers gambling for his clothes. I hear the Pharisees' ugly jokes and the priests' insults. I feel the darkness and the horror weighing me down and the contempt of the jeering crowd jostling around me. And I feel that heavy sword of grief piercing my soul as the soldier's spear pierces Jesus' side. But I just love the visual here. I'm astounded by what verse 25 says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Courageously she stands at the foot of the cross with her eyes turned to her divine son, even in the fullness of her own agony and sorrow, and even in the midst of this cosmic storm and chaos happening all around her. Again, laying down her control and her hopes and her expectations and trusting in God's plan, which I must say had to look pretty precarious at that moment. And she's doing the very thing that most of Jesus' own disciples hadn't had the courage to do as they had fled. For some, Mother's Day is a reminder of loss or pain or suffering. I've really begun to see what an example Mary is in trusting God through agonizing pain and sorrow and loss. I haven't had to suffer any really terrible tragedies in my life so far, as many of you have or even are at this moment. But as Mary treasured in her heart all the moments in her son's life that led her to this point, I really want to treasure her example in my heart so that when grief and suffering and hardship that is inevitable in this life does come, I'll be able to look to Jesus as Mary did. And why is Mary's example such a poignant one? It's because she didn't know the end of the story, but she still held on in faith. But we do know how the story ends. We know that the agony that he endured led to the greatest blessing and gift to mankind. And it's because we know the end of the story that when I look at Mary at the foot of the cross, I'm not filled with grief, but I'm actually greatly encouraged because I see that what her son does for her in his darkest hour is something that he does for me as well. Here it is again from John 19. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. If Jesus, in his very darkest hour, the most agonizing and horrible day that anyone has ever experienced, was thinking of and caring for his mother, how much greater is his care for those of us who hear his word and obey it? This is what he said in Luke 8:21: My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He loved his mother with a natural affection, but he loves me and he loves you with the love of a savior who willingly gave his life for those who obey the word of God. If Jesus, in his deepest weakness and humiliation, is able to provide for the needs of his mother, how much more is he able to provide for our needs in his risen glory and power and exaltation? Even in this moment of agony, 
When the salvation of the world hung in the balance, he cared about the loneliness and the sustenance of his mother in the days ahead. Even in this moment of cosmic battle, he didn't overlook the simple things or lay aside the sorrows of others in light of his own. During my own moments of distress or even just the ones that are out of my control, I find such comfort in knowing that not only does he care about the details, but he's risen in glory and power and he's able to meet my needs. What a great blessing and comfort it is to be loved and known and cared for by such a savior. But that's not all, there's even more here. And this is a whole new family. What Jesus did for Mary here is this amazing illustration of the blessings and benefits within the body of Christ. Jesus didn't ask his own brothers, Mary's own sons, to take care of her. But instead, he established a new mother and son relationship between Mary and John. What great ramifications this has for us in terms of provision and support within the family of God. In Matthew 19, after a rich young man walks away from Jesus, unable to part with the wealth that holds him back from the kingdom of God, Peter says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus explains to his disciples what their position will be in glory with him. And he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, where in this life are we going to receive a hundred brothers or sisters or a hundred fathers or mothers or a hundred children? I'm not sure I want a hundred children, but where is that? It's only in the family of God. Now, I don't have any family here in Sydney and neither does my husband. We both have to make long-distance calls today. And that's hard sometimes. I have to send flowers on the internet and endure the constant poor connection message on FaceTime. I don't have my mom around the corner to pop over and look after the kids or to call quickly to ask about tricky cooking ingredients. And I know lots of you are in the same boat. So we rely on this community, on you guys, for friendship and support, for loving our kids, and encouraging us as we grow in our faith. When we moved to Manly six years ago, I remember saying to my husband how it felt like God had literally dropped us into the middle of a ready-made family here at St. Matthew's. And six years on, I can say that is true, and I've seen and experienced what life in a big extended family looks like. It's cooking meals, it's hospital visits, it's prayer, it's picking up kids, it's opening our homes, it's celebrating milestones. And this is one of the gifts Jesus gives us, just as he gave Mary from the cross, this great extended family, the church, the family of God, this loving and caring and sustaining, encouraging, supportive family beyond family. On this Mother's Day, I don't need to sit with Mary in the soul-piercing grief of the cross because I know the end of the story. And I know that the suffering led to the glorious reward of salvation and provision through Jesus and of fellowship in his church now and forever. I know that the one in whom I put my faith is the one who is truly in control of everything that could or will ever come my way. 
So I pray that my posture might be like that of Mary at the cross, face upturned to her divine son, no matter what is happening around me. She reminds me of this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. We're going to